Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 315th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and brought to you today by ICD University. And joining me this morning is my co-host, the very popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, MD. Good morning, Dr. Reamer. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. This morning, we're reporting on two health care events that are taking place right now as we're on the air. We're going to have a live report from the HIMSS conference underway in Las Vegas. That's right. And this morning, we're monitoring the ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting taking place right now at CMS headquarters in Baltimore. That's right. Lori John's going to be reporting on that CNN meeting where proposals are being presented. For new code topics, that's going to be very exciting. And Tim McMullen is standing by in Las Vegas with an update on HIMSS 18. Also standing by is Dr. Terrence Govender, who has our CDI report. Looking forward to that. And we have a different kind of segment this morning. We've asked New York Times bestselling author Leanne Tiemann to offer some important steps for staying healthy. Looking forward to that. Now, if her name sounds familiar, it's because... She co-authored The Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul, along with 14 other Chicken Soup titles. We're delighted to have her on our broadcast, and she's also the founder and the president of Self-Care for Healthcare. And uh, there's a developing story we've been monitoring, and it's happening right now at CMS. And for that, we check in with Lori Johnson. She's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University. Inviting you to register now to learn about assumptive coding for heart disease featuring Terry Fletcher on Wednesday, March 28th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Here now is Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, Erica. Hello, everyone. And today and tomorrow are important days in ICD-10 code development. As I am speaking, the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting is getting underway. I have a slide under the Handouts tab that will provide all of the information to get you connected to the meeting. Remember that this is a great way to get free CE credits. There are 25 diagnosis topics and 13 procedure topics to be discussed during this meeting. In addition, they will also review proposed indices and tabular revisions to be included in the next revision of ICD-10. All comments regarding these proposals are due by April 6, 2018. The meeting has begun with procedures. The first topic this morning that started at 9 a.m. was the irreversible electroporation. This topic was presented in 2015 and the code was turned down because of the lack of physician documentation for the coders to be able to differentiate between this procedure and other procedures. Physicians are now using terms of nanoknife or IRE in their procedures to be able to identify this procedure. This technology is used beyond the pancreas and the liver, and so we may see some additional codes being added for other body systems. So as you can see on this screen, um, you see the URL that you can access the broadcast, or if you prefer to dial in, there is a free dial-in number, and 
please note that there are different meeting IDs depending if you're dialing in for day one or day two. The information is available with regards to the meeting materials, which you can download or just um, have them on your computer to review. And I also gave you this a sample of the agenda, which was posted in the Federal Register. So it's also important to know that you can make comments regarding these proposals. For diagnosis comments, the URL or the email address that you will send your comments to is N as in Nancy, C-H-S-I-C-D-1-0-C-M at cdc.gov. And for procedure comments, the email address is ICD Procedure Code Request at cms.hhs.gov. And next week, I'll provide all that information on a slide so you can see it. Um, there are several um, re-presentations. We talked about the first um, procedure topic was a re-presentation. And there's one more procedure presentation um, that is going to be presented today on endovascular thrombectomy of intracranial and extracranial arteries. So lots of good information that's um, to be heard on the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting, and I hope you'll all comment. So back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Laurie, very much. That was Laurie Johnson. Laurie is a senior healthcare consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. By the way, we're going to circle back with Laurie later in the broadcast for another update on the CMS Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting that's taking place right now at CMS headquarters in Baltimore. This is Tuesday, it's March the 6th, and it's the first Tuesday in the month, and you're listening to the 315th edition of Talk Dead Tuesday Standby. Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by ICD University. When it comes to diagnosing respiratory failure, some providers may not make the diagnosis when it's present, or they may call everything respiratory failure setting up their institutions for clinical validation denials. The good news is Dr. Erica Reamer will clearly explain the clinical indicators so you can identify respiratory distress, hypoxemia, hypercarbia, and respiratory failure, including these indicators in the postoperative setting. Dr. Reamer will also give you the tools to compose clear and compliant queries and to avoid denials. To learn more, attend the March 15th webcast, how to Recognize Respiratory Failure and Prevent Denials. Register today. Simply click on the rotating ad on the ICD-10 Monitor homepage or call 800-252-1578, extension 2. Thank you, Clark Anthony. We now switch live to Las Vegas for an update on HIMSS 18 now underway this week. Here now reporting live is Tim McMullen. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica. And good morning, listeners. This is Top 10 Tuesday Cub reporter Tim McMullen here reporting live from HIMSS. And this year's HIMSS is being held in Viva Las Vegas at the Sands Convention Center, where they are expecting over 45,000 attendees. Now, yesterday kicked off HIMSS 18, and there were a number of special programs, including a Revenue Cycle Solutions Summit, which was an assembly of the industry's top revenue cycle and reimbursement experts to discuss the key strategies and technology they're using to improve the revenue cycle and drive financial outcomes. And then later on, we, there was the opening keynote speaker, Eric Schmidt, and Eric was uh, Google's chief 
uh, executive officer from 2001 to 2011, and he provided his perspective on what we can do to speed up the progress and make sure technology is being used in healthcare to put it to its best use. But as he said, there is still so much untapped potential, and I quote, and healthcare is already so far behind, which kind of kind of was a little bit of deflating. But but he had a a, a good way of ending it by uh, saying that that there is uh, unlimited possibilities with healthcare and technology. And then after the keynote speaker, uh, things kicked off with an opening reception in the 380,000 square foot exhibit hall. This is just a uh, talk about uh, Fitbit and, and, and getting your steps in. This is the place to do it. There's over 1,100 booths. So over the next three days, you're going to have to, if you want to see all of those booths, you have to spend no more than 60 seconds at each one. Uh, there's also uh, over 300 educational opportunities here at HIMSS. Um, the HIMSS Health Business Solutions Group has actually identified 24 educational ses sessions focusing on revenue cycle management. And two of the items that really jumped out at me when I was looking at the schedule was a blockchain and patient-centric education systems. And there's also a number of payer forms that they have under the HIMSS Health Health Business Solutions Group. So, for instance, with blockchain, you've got sessions like Blockchain Reset, Seeing Through the Hype and How to Get Started. You've got um, the use of blockchain to improve quality outcomes. Blockchain in Obesity and Type 2 Diabetes Treatment, Clinical Research Administration and Value-Based Contracting. Uh, then, as far as the uh, patient-centric ones go, You've got the patient experience story, our journey to putting patients first from Shields Healthcare and putting patients first, culture, collaboration, and communication. And as I said, there were a number of payer forums, uh, payer forums including uh, Better Together, the value proposition for payers and providers, uh, payer forum session, uh, the Blues, innovative solutions for improving outcomes. And there's also a payer speak-up session. But there are a few that kind of caught my eye that I'm, I'm interested in attending. Uh, one is fueling an innovative engine to delivering alternative payment models. The business case for adopting a single platform revenue cycle solution. That should be interesting. And one that, that I'm personally interested in, implementing work from home in revenue cycle. So, needless to say, there is a lot to keep you busy here until Friday. Chuck, back to you. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim McMullen. Tim is the Executive Director of the Healthcare Administrative Technology Association, and he was reporting live from HIMSS 18. It's reported to be one of the largest healthcare conferences in North America, 45,000 people. Wow, Tim, thanks very much. Here now with the Talk 10 Tuesday CDI report is Dr. Terrence Governor. Good morning, Dr. Governor. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Chuck, and thank you, and good morning, listeners. For more than a decade, CDI has evolved as a profession and an industry with essentially one goal in mind, to bridge the gap between the language and documentation styles that physicians are accustomed to and true patient severity accurately and compliantly captured by codes. As the healthcare industry continues to experience evolutionary quickening, ideally our approach to CDI should adapt accordingly. 
the traditional means of approaching CDI has resulted in the skewing of the industry as a whole, mostly due to quick wins realized in earlier years. The industry now appears to be skewed with more time, energy, and resources devoted to identifying deficiencies in a chart and attempting to correct them reactively versus addressing physician documentation habits and adopting a more proactive approach. There needs to be a balance between the two in order to optimize the results and change the documentation culture of your organization. Physicians at the bedside will never be subject matter experts in CDI, but they should, more than a decade later, be very familiar with the core fundamentals required for complete, accurate, and compliant documentation. The result of a skewed industry as described is that CDI initiatives, programs, and efforts are widely used as a crutch rather than a safety net. We can work on achieving balance, and we should work on achieving balance by ensuring that physician education for CDI is an integral component of our efforts. Since this is easier said than done, many choose to ignore this component altogether and continue chugging along on a, on a route that offers the most resistance with physicians both in the short and long term. Addressing physician education challenges your program's comfort zone in the short term, but, pay, but will pay significant dividends in the long run. Many have prided themselves in replacing the word improvement with integrity in the industry, and since integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching, we need to educate physicians on what the right thing is. There are different approaches to educating physicians. These include face-to-face, peer-to-peer education, rounding with physicians, and online training as an example. Each can be effective, but they also come with many drawbacks, and one of the main, and is possibly one of the main reasons why many choose to ignore them altogether. These drawbacks range from poor attendance, scheduling and timing limitations, and the lack of actual physician behavioral change in the short and long term in spite of your robust education plan. In my experience, a combination of approaches to get information in front of physicians over the long run works best but nothing gains more traction and attention than education efforts paired with robust individual and group performance monitoring reports, academic detailing with individual and peer, peer group performance feedback has long been proven to affect change in physician behavior, and we would be negligent to not leverage this approach in CDI. Performance reports augment all other education efforts in several ways, one of the most effective being through the Hawthorne effect, when physicians know that their performance on specific metrics, metrics which are meaningful to them, are being monitored, they are more likely to be engaged and change behavior in the short and long term. In summary, ignoring the physician education component in your current CDI efforts can be very costly and risky to your organization, and if not done correctly, it can and will lead to frustration and the perception that it is not worth your time and effort that it deserves. There is nothing better than adopting a DIRFT approach to CDI. D-I-R-F-T, DIRFT, doing it right the first time. Thank you. Over to you, Erica. Thanks, Terrence. I couldn't agree with you more. That was Dr. Terrence Govender. Dr. Govender is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for Clinintel, Inc. Chuck? Thank you, uh, Eric and Dr. Reamer, and uh, thank you very much, Dr. Governor. And you can read his outstanding article on those initiatives on our homepage at icd10monitor.com.
You know, our staff here at Talking Tuesdays have been inspired several Tuesdays ago. That's when Dr. Reamer explained on the air that she was wearing a Fitbit to remind her to keep moving when she was sitting down working at a computer. So with that in mind, we asked Leanne Tiemann, a former nurse and nationally acclaimed author, who co-authored the New York Times bestseller Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul, to be on Talking Tuesday and to offer all of us, I said all of us, important tips for staying healthy. So joining us now is Leanne Tiemann. Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast, Leanne. It's an honor to have you here. And so what advice do you have to offer us today? Well, thank you. It is my honor to be with you. You know, it's my mission in life to um, help caregivers care for themselves while they're caring for everybody else. And too often, people like your audience members forget that they are caregivers. And I often remind them an equally important part of the caregiving team because we can't do what we do in healthcare without them. And like most caregivers, I'm guessing they, too, are so busy working hard to take care of everybody else, they forget to care for themselves. And so I want to remind them to care for their bodies a bit every day. And the best way we can do that is to make sure that we eat like we know we're supposed to eat. We know we're supposed to drink six glasses of water a day, but usually we don't do that. Often we, as a matter of fact, we treat ourselves in ways that we would never treat a patient or somebody we loved. We would never deny anybody else food or drink, but too often we health caregivers deny that very thing of ourselves. And the second reminder is what you mentioned, and that is to care for our bodies with exercise. Um, I have read recently, and the research proves, that people in sedentary jobs who sit at their desk are as a great a health risk as people who smoke one pack of cigarettes a day. So to Dr. Reamer's point, the importance of just getting up and moving throughout the day to do so and setting an alarm or having a Fitbit is a great way to do that. Um, Even just taking a walk, a 15-minute walk on your break or taking the stairs on your break just to get some, some exercise in. Recently, one of my clients was telling me that she, too, worked in an office setting that was rather sedentary, and she said every morning at 10 o'clock they set an alarm for everybody to jump up and start doing an exercise video from YouTube, and they take turns picturing and working with an exercise video every day at 10 o'clock in the morning. And Dr. Reamer suggested body groove. Dot com, which is just easy stretching and, and so forth. This group got into something a little bit more active, and she said it just caused them to laugh so hard that was good for them as well. So that's the other tool I want to leave you with this morning, and that is the importance of laughter. Truly is. Laughter is the best medicine. There's organizations of therapeutic humor where doctors and nurses research and teach that laughter really does increase our immune system and lower our blood pressure and release those wonderful endorphins in our brains, our body's feel-good medicine. So I remind everybody to create a laughter bulletin board at work where you can bring funny pictures, funny cartoons, funny jokes, so you can all laugh together. In my Self-Care for Healthcare program, I even have a list of how to create laughter in the workplace. And this one great idea I'll leave you with. My friend went to work one day with a piece of tape on her upper arm. The next day, the tape was on her wrist. The next day, it was near the elbow. And finally, one of her coworkers said, why are you putting tape on your arm every day? She responded, oh, I put that there every day to show where I've had it up to. <laughs> that makes me laugh. I want you to think about what makes you laugh and try to laugh 400 times a day. That's what kids do. They know laughter is the best medicine. 
So I remind you to care for your bodies, get a little exercise, get up and get moving, make a laughter bulletin board, put some tape on your arm if you need to, and remember to laugh every single day so you can care for yourselves as lovingly as you help the rest of us take care of everybody else. Thank you so much, Leanne. That was Leanne Tiemann. Leanne is a former nurse and nationally acclaimed author who co-authored the New York Times bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Nurse's Soul. Leanne is the founder and president of Self-Care for Healthcare. Chuck? Thank you, Dr. Reber. You know, I'm kind of laughing because, uh, you know, when I'm looking for humor, I always look at Clark Anthony. He's a very funny guy. But uh, you're the one, and may I here uh, for the first time call you publicly Erica. Is that okay? Yeah, that's just fine. <laughs> okay, thank you, Erica. So tell me about the Fitbit that you're wearing right now. I, I assume you've got it on. Oh, I do. I, I wear it 24-7 until it says to me it needs to be plugged in. And it doesn't know whether I'm sitting or standing, so it doesn't care. At 50, you know, 1050, 1150, if I have not moved at least 250 steps, it buzzes my arm, and then it gives me some sort of, you know, encouraging um saying want to get stepping uh, and that's the point at which I take a break I turn on as, as Leanne was talking about I turn on my body groove um, and I actually dance around my my office the cat looks at me like I'm insane and every once in a while she has to like jump out of the way because I could step on her if she doesn't move um, but it gets my heart rate up and then when I get back to you know standing or sitting at my desk my heart rate is going and I feel better and it really it's not only physical don't you agree Leanne it's not only physical but it's also mental getting that little break absolutely and that's good for our bodies minds and spirits when we when we move um, and, it, and as I said especially with that endorphin release in your brain and and just shifting gears and allowing yourself that little bit of respite during the day yep I totally agree couldn't be better for you uh, your Fitbit, is there any kind of a cue for laughter? I mean, does it tell a joke or does it refer you to a, you know, Comic-Con? It does not, but I can tell you that when I take a Facebook break, I either spend some time crying or I spend some time laughing. It depends on whether I'm looking at political things or whether I'm looking at cute cat videos. <laughs> right, Pl- plenty of those. Hey, thanks very much. And uh, Leanne, thank you for being on our program. Thanks for that tip. And uh, Dr. Reamer, what I really, or Erica, if you don't mind my calling you Erica, if you would please send us a video of those exercises that you're doing with your uh, Fitbit, that would really be cool. We'll see if you can get it on, on the broadcast. <laughs> Let's switch to a little serious topic. We have a little segment that we call Talk Back. What do you want to talk back today about? Chuck, I have a couple of things I'm going to talk about today. First of all, you know I'm very sad to not be able to attend the ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting this year. Um, I really wanted to go physically this year, but barring that, I still get fun and entertainment from participating remotely by phone, but I have to travel to an on-site visit this afternoon, and tomorrow, as Dr. Govender alluded to, I will be educating physicians on how their documentation is related to establishing medical necessity and how to support and make robust CDI diagnoses. However, you guys can still participate after this podcast if you want, and we've given you a handout um, to show you how to do it. I do want to point out that the meeting number has apparently been um, updated, and it's going to be the same today and tomorrow, and it's 995 
So anyway, today they do PCS, and two topics which piqued my interest and on which I am choosing to comment, even though I'm not able to participate in the calls, are the endovascular bypass and ECMO. I agree with the CMS's recommendation to expand Table 5A1 to be able to distinguish between central and peripheral ECMO. I disagree with their assessment of endovascular bypass. I will be commenting that I support adding the approach of percutaneous to the table of bypass for lower arteries. It seems more accurate to me, and it seems like a really easy fix. That is the beauty of PCS. There is room for expansion to accurately detail new procedures. The proposals for the ICD-10-CM were released this morning, which I found a little surprising, a little delayed. I would have expected a little more lead time, but at least I was able to prove them briefly before this. Um, I completely agree with breaking out the most common BRCA mutations, one and two, for statistical monitoring. I am going to have to spend a little more time thinking about cyclical vomiting. There are two distinct situations which I think should have codes. The migraine equivalent of cyclical vomiting, which belongs in G43, as it's been, and cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which does not have a code other than using some um, uh, cannabis-induced disorder nonspecific code. I'm particularly concerned if you suspect cyclical vomiting migraine, but you aren't sure, you can't really use R11.15 with confidence if the title explicitly says unrelated to migraine. The proposed tabular modification to be able to identify where drowning occurs intrigues me. Living in Cleveland, I am particularly fascinated by the specificity of W69.4, accidental drowning and submersion while in Great Lakes. I am supportive of expansions of genetic syndrome, such as Ehlers-Danlos, as long as it is acknowledged that the specificity may not be utilized by the average non-specialist. Analyzing epidemiological data must take that into consideration. Having a new code teasing out exertional heat stroke from other heat strokes seems logical to me. And as the mother of an ex-preemie, I also support the new code of Z87.6, personal history of certain conditions arising in the perinatal period. Welcome code for pyuria. And then I always hope that the CC and MCC list and exclusions for patient safety indicators will respond quickly to changes in the code set. If approved, there will be new codes for immunodeficiency and tonsillar herniation. That was what I was able to glean from a very quick review of the ICD-10 CM proposals. I recommend you all check them out and participate in the process. Send your comments in to CMS and the CDC. So switching gears... After announcing my war on cloning last week, I received feedback from you and my LinkedIn buddies, including offers to be lieutenants. We need to figure out strategy. First, we need to understand where this behavior comes from. In the paper world, we never copied yesterday's documentation of last month's visit. Why not? The simplistic reason is that it would take longer. Time restraints have become even more pressing, and convenience is compelling. Providers don't make the connection that their professional fee is based on recording the patient interaction in their thought product. Somewhere along the line, they got the misimpression that they actually get paid for the quantity of documentation, not the quality. Bring to their attention that CMS actually explicitly says you should not use the volume of documentation to determine which service level to bill. Established office visits and subsequent hospital inpatient care only require two out of three components, 
The three components are history, physical, and complexity of medical decision-making. I personally think one of the determining factors should be MDM. The history and physical can be crafted at the highest level for any patient, so the real determinant is how complex the condition is and what it takes to manage it. If almost every word in the history, physical, and MDM is identical to the last visit, CMS doesn't want to pay you for the old work product. Your job is to take excellent care of the patient and to document it so that others can appreciate your contribution. The reimbursement will follow naturally. You and I think about it from the hospital perspective. A lawyer friend of mine pointed out that there can be other issues too. If the provider just copies feeling better each office visit when the patient is really not improving, workman's comp balks because there is no evidence from the documentation that the patient has medical necessity for any workup or treatment like physical therapy. In the paper world, we had chronic documentation insufficiency. In the electronic world, we are experiencing acute documentation failure. Whenever you can, tout the dangers of copy and paste and cloning to your medical staff. Your organization should develop a reasonable policy with which providers can and will comply. Lecture to them. Do audits of copy and paste and give them statistics to put offenders on notice. Write it up in your hospital newsletter. You can visit my website, icd10md.com, for a sample CDI tip of the week. If you have other ideas, contact me. This is an idea whose time has come. Well, Chuck, I think that I used up all our time. I'm sorry about that, but I really had to get some of this out. Very good. Thank you, Erica, very much for that uh, talk back segment. That's going to be a wrap for this edition, our 315th edition of Talk Dead Tuesday. And Erica and I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Harris Governor Lori Johnson, who was reporting live from CMA. She's going to be back on our program next Tuesday with a wrap-up. Also, Tim McMullen calling in live from Las Vegas for the HIM-18. And, of course, Leanne Tiemann. Thank you, Leanne, very much for being with us. We hope you're going to be with us next Tuesday when our special guest will be Nellie Leon Chisan. She's coming in from the American Hospital Association. Until then, I'm Chuck Buck speaking on behalf of Erica Reamer and everyone here at Talk in Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Have a great week, everyone. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.